I want to take our uh, second reading, the, uh, the reading, the New Testament reading from Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 14 through 16. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can uh, find that text on page 1189. Hebrews chapter 4, and beginning at verse 14, page 1189, which I want to read again, and I invite you to read along with me. Ephesians chapter 4 and beginning at verse 14. And the writer to the Hebrews, whose identity we really don't know, even after all of this time, it is uh, anonymous, but has always been honored by the church and has been a part of the New Testament canon for centuries. The writer says, Since we have a great high priest who is passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, therefore, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This morning I want to talk about being faithful and staying faithful. <laughs> being faithful and staying faithful, which is, I suppose, a tautology that is to say that it's like saying the same things twice and inasmuch as being faithful is the same as staying faithful. And being faithful and staying faithful is really important. Uh, it may not be uh, important uh, in the world or in our culture. There's no one getting awards, I don't think, uh, for being faithful. Not in the world. But it's very important to God. Uh, in fact, one uh, might uh, say that being faithful and staying faithful is the most important thing. To God as it relates to our relationship with Him. In fact, how does God, as you remember, how does God commend those with whom He's truly pleased? Uh, to those with whom He's truly pleased, He says what? <laughs> well done, thou what? Thou good and faithful. And while faithful, being faithful and staying faithful may not always be easy, the thing to remember that is that it's very possible, that is to say that we can do it. In fact, that's the first thing I'd like to suggest, that being faithful and staying faithful is possible. And according to the writer of, the he of, of Hebrews, because Jesus, if you like, has done this Already, he has passed this way before us. Indeed, notice again verse 14. Since then we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. So it's a, it's a, a, that's a reference to the ascension. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, since that's true, let us hold fast our confession. Let us be faithful and stay faithful. 
And so Jesus was faithful. He stayed faithful. That is to say, before his ascension, before he passed through the heavens, Jesus lived a life that we would call faithful, steadfast. He entered into our world, as you know. He became a human being. He took on our humanity, which is the first hint that he might understand something about us. He became one of us. He lived and he died. And he was faithful. And he stayed faithful. And, the God, and God the Father was pleased with him. You remember at his baptism, as it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 3. After the baptism, the, the sky opened, the clouds parted, the Spirit of God descended like a, a dove and rested on Jesus. And then a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Our Jesus in the Gospel of John, speaking of himself, he said, I always do those things which are pleasing to the Father. He was faithful. And he was pleasing to God. And when his mission was ended on earth, he ascended, passing through the heavens, as the writer of the Hebrews puts it, and he was seated where he is now, seated at the right hand of the power on high. Seated at the right hand of God the Father. In this same letter to the Hebrews, we have that expressed not, not only suggested here, but expressed in the first chapter, in the twelfth chapter. In the first chapter, we read this. He writes about Jesus. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. Remember Jesus said to Philip, he said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the writer to the Hebrews says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. If you've seen him, you've seen God. And he upholds the universe with the, word, with the word of his power, and after making purification for sin, that is, after dying on the cross and rising again, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Or in Hebrews chapter 12, and with a little bit of, a, little bit of an application, therefore, the writer says, let us run with endurance. <laughs> let us stay faithful. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, the completer of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He despised it. It's like, shame on you for shaming me. <laughs> I despise the shame because of what I'm accomplishing. By dying, this grotesque crucifixion, this execution that others might be set free. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Indeed, Jesus is the model. Indeed, he is our model for being faithful and staying faithful. In Paul writing to the Philippians, he wrote famously in chapter 2 about this very fact. It's not that just Jesus did something for us and isn't that great. <laughs> it is great. 
But then Jesus says, and the apostles repeated after him, and he's the model. We wear it on our wrists, right? What would Jesus do? And of course, you can't possibly know what Jesus would do if you don't know what Jesus did. That's why you come here, maybe. You know, when I went to church when I was young, I went to church, I went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then once during the week. That was the usual rhythm for, for most of us. And, uh, and I got to reading the Bible because I was paying attention to what the preachers and teachers were doing. And so if they were preaching in Romans chapter 8, some passage or whatever, I would read that. Uh, and then I would read ch- all of chapter 8. And then I said, well, you know, if chapter 8's good, why don't I start at chapter 1 and 3 through chapter 16? And I became a student of the Bible because I was hearing it all the time. I hope you might get a little inspiration and say, well, you know, if somebody like Scott can understand this stuff, maybe I can read it and understand it too. And you know what? You can! (laughs) I was was, uh, reading and became aware of the Bible and where different things were and where the books of the Bible were long before I went to Bible school and seminary and all of that just because... When I, when I read it, I heard God's voice. Amen? But Philippians chapter 2, this famous verse, thought by some New Testament scholars to be actually a, a song that the early church sang, a part of it. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, and Paul tells the Philippian believers, have this mind in yourselves, or have this mindset. What kind of mindset, Paul? Have this mind in yourself which is yours in Christ Jesus. The mindset that he had. Who though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be held on to. A thing to be grasped. But in humility, Jesus emptied himself of all of his rights and privileges as God. When he was walking around with all the rest of us, he never pulled that rank. Never said, well, don't you know you're talking to God? No, he was a servant. To all those around him who did not count equality with God a thing to be, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, or in the Greek, doulos, slave, taking the form of a slave and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in, in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, obedient to God even death on the cross. And then in verse 9, we come maybe to the most important word, the word therefore. All of us have a therefore, and Jesus did, and so do we. And one thing comes before the other. Since he lived this way (laughs) before God, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confessed that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He abased himself, and therefore God highly exalted him. And Jesus used the same language with regard to those who follow him. Those who abase themselves shall be exalted, and those who exalt themselves shall be abased. And here's the principle, and there it is, Jesus as a model. And so being faithful and staying faithful is possible because Jesus, if you like, has passed this way before us. Indeed, following Jesus as an example is all that it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do you count yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ? 
This is what it means to be a disciple, not just to come and get some spiritual goodies and then walk off, but to get the spiritual goodies and then follow in his way. And Dallas Willard famously wrote, Discipleship is learning from Jesus how to live my life as he would live it if he were me. And what we know about Jesus is that he was faithful and he stayed faithful. Secondly and finally, being faithful and staying faithful is possible because everything we need to be faithful and stay faithful has been provided, provided us in Christ. Notice again our text. Verse 14, and since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, the difficulty that we may find in being faithful, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so Jesus is not only ascended and seated in the heavenlies, Jesus is available as the writer to the Hebrews say, Jesus can sympathize with our situation. He's not only divine, he's just as equally human. And that, of course, is a great mystery. But it's true nonetheless, fully divine and fully human, as human as you are. And as the writer says, he was tempted in all ways as we are tempted. He knows what it's like to be tempted. To do wrong rather than right, to turn one's back on God, to take the easy way out rather than be faithful. And of course, we have the great example in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, and Matthew, chapter 4. But taking Matthew, chapter 4 as the text for that, Jesus was tempted to pursue fleshly things rather than divine things, spiritual things. He was tempted as we are to pursue, to, to pursue fleshly things rather than spiritual things. So we read, right, in Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, and when Jesus, Jesus was then led in this, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry. Well, I suppose he was. <laughs> and the tempter came to him and said, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, Devil, I'm not taking directions from you. <laughs> we'll get around to eating when it's time to eat. In the meantime, don't forget the priority here. I need God more than I need anything else. Faithfulness. And then Jesus was tempted to short-circuit the praise of God by settling instead for the praise of man. We do this all the time. Because maybe the praise of God, you know, man, that's a little bit in the distance. I don't know if I can wait that long, so I'll short-circuit all of that and go for the applause and praise of other people. 
And so we read in Matthew chapter 4 and beginning at verse 5, And then the devil took Jesus to the holy city, that is Jerusalem, set him up on the pinnacle of the temple, this high spot, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He, God, will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus, go ahead and throw yourself down. You're the Son in whom the Father is well pleased. He won't allow you to strike your foot against the stone. Just imagine that, Jesus. What will people think of you when they see that happen? You jump off, the angels come and catch you, and you lightly just place your feet on the, on the, on the, the floor of the court in the temple, and everyone will say, Wow! But Jesus' response, and Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And Jesus was, in, uh, was tempted to exchange the kingdom of God for an earthly kingdom. Gee whiz, Jesus, think about this. What, do you have to go to the cross? I mean, what do they say? Jesus, no, no, no crown, no cross. You got to go to the cross first before you get the crown. I'll give you the crown. And what do we read? In Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 8. And again, the devil took him to a high, very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these I will give to you. If you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so Jesus was tempted in all ways like we are, in many other ways. This is just an example. The temptation as it took place after the 40 days wandering and fasting in the wilderness. But Jesus was tempted in all ways like we are, at least in categories. I'm sure he wasn't test tempted or tested about cars or anything else. It wasn't a part of his culture and a part of his human experience. But all the categories of temptation he knows just as you know them. He knows what it's like to be tempted, to be unfaithful. And yet he never was. In fact, that's what the writer here says. He's tempted in all ways like we and yet without sin. I do always, Jesus said, all the things that the, pleases the Father. And still, in spite of this, and what we would might call in quotes perfection, he's merciful. <laughs> he's merciful. He did it all good. He did it all right without impediment. He is the son with whom the father is always pleased. And yet in his relationship to you and me, a bunch of losers lots of times when it comes to spiritual things, if you don't mind me saying, starting with me, he's merciful. It's exactly what it says. Come to the draw nigh to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy. And what is mercy? I quoted Nicky Gumbel last, uh, a couple weeks ago from his great book, a Challenging Lifestyle, and he defined mercy this way. He says, mercy is an attitude opposite that of, fault, of the fault finder. Fault finders are not merciful. They'll tell you everything that's wrong with you. And of course, they don't have anything wrong with them. That's why they're so, right? They're not merciful. The, mercy is an attitude opposite of that of the fault finder 
who's constantly looking for and dwelling on the faults of others. But Jesus <laughs> is merciful. He knows how we struggle to be faithful. He knows by experience what it's like to want to give up, to take the easy way out, and to be unfaithful. And so Jesus is merciful. Seated on high, <laughs> he is available, and his disposition toward you is mercy. But even more than that, he is the dispenser of grace. Very interesting. Notice at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He does sympathize. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And therefore, since that's the case, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The message is don't drift away. <laughs> don't drift away. And sometimes that happens with people. Yeah, you know, I missed and I'm falling and I, I just, you know, I can't even do this anymore. <laughs> I don't even know why I even bothered, why I even started. And God says, we've got mercy for that. I've got mercy. I'm not going to, do you want to live for me? Yeah, then come along. Don't drift away. Draw near. Come close. If you've failed, there's mercy. But more than that, in Christ we find grace as it is expressed here. Notice that. Grace to help in time of need. Mercy and grace are two different things. It's not mercy and mercy. Mercy is what it is. Not holding you accountable for the things that you've done and the, and the just punishments that you deserve. It's delivering you from that. Grace is a gift. It's a gift that you don't deserve. And in the New Testament, it's used in various different ways. It literally means gift. And here, it, it seems to mean, as it does in other places, spiritual power, divine enablement, power to overcome temptation, the power to, to be faithful and to stay faithful. In Acts chapter 4, and verse 33, it's used in this way. We read this. And with great power, the apostles... We're giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them as they were doing this. Or in 2 Timothy 2, in verse 1, the great apostle Paul talking to his protege and who he left as bishop in Ephesus, Timothy. He said, you then, my child, and he's just in language of endearment. You my, you, my child, my child in the faith, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so notice our text again. And since we, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast, not give up, Hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And let us then with confidence, with boldness, 
draw near to the throne of grace, his throne, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. To my mind, there really isn't anything in the culture at large that's very likely to encourage any of us to be faithful to God. In fact, there's not a few things in the culture around us that encourage us not to be faithful to Christ. And so being faithful and staying faithful may be, if you like, a a road less traveled. And yet I would like to suggest that it's still a road worth taking. In fact, I close with Jesus' famous words in Matthew chapter 7. He said, And enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the road is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Being faithful and staying faithful. Let us pray. We have nothing to lose, Lord. We know that. I think we know that. We have nothing really to lose, nothing that's really worth keeping if it would jeopardize the gifts that you have to give. There's nothing to be gained by being unfaithful. That's the problem. And everything to be gained by being faithful. And everything to be gained by staying faithful. You call us to faithfulness and you've given us an example, a perfect example of faithfulness in your son Jesus Christ. When we say that we love, and you love him too, and yet our calling is not just to love him, but to follow him as our teacher, as our rabbi, as our Lord who calls all the shots. Help us to do that, Lord. And help us, Lord, not to be tempted by those counterfeit things that might suggest to us that they're as good as your gifts. Help us, Lord, to be faithful and stay faithful not only for us, but that you might be glorified in us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.